Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a very special edition of Aaron's show. This will be part two of my interview with Michael Munn. Um, we're so we're so glad that you as the listener is joining us today. And Michael, we're so glad that you were able to make it back in for another exciting show and that you're in for part two today. How are you? How's it going? Tell our listeners. Thank you, Aaron, for inviting me back. And I'm very excited to be back. And I'm feeling awfully good. Good. So. As as you remember, listener, where where we kind of had to leave you last time was when Michael was meeting his adopted fam adoptive family over Skype, and he was telling them how he was concerned about getting onto a Boeing aircraft because just before he had Skyped with them, he was hearing about the recent at that time the recent Malaysian Airlines crash. Um, where there was a lot of Chinese passengers and they happened to be using a Boeing aircraft. So that is where you can start off, Michael. Why don't you tell us, um, kind of recap, kind of summarize that part of it and, and tell us, I, I want you to start by talking about um, your conversation that you had over Skype with your adoptive family that you're living with now. Let's start there. Okay, so uh, go ahead. So I was uh, asking them, about uh, are we gonna ride on the Boeing? And because you know, I was very curious at that point about every single part of Boeing because the crash, I mean the crisis that just happened in Malaysia Airlines. So I heard the news when I was like, uh, it was like in March that I was doing some health chores and I watch and I saw someone, you know, staring at TV and they were reporting about a plane crash. I didn't know until a couple hours later when I was watching my evening news that the plane was actually missed, was uh, lost contact. So that got me interested of, you know, following airplanes. Yeah. And so then how did um how did the family respond to your question when you asked them about the Boeing situation? Oh, you know, they totally lost what I'm talking about because they can't really answer my questions. I see. Okay. No worries. What other questions um, did you ask the family? Oh, I <clears throat> also asked them about, like, what the 
uh, family-like and anyone playing any instrument or any, yeah. And it turns out that only my dad plays an instrument and my sister plays cello and me playing the flute. Okay. Now, by dad and sister, you, are, are you talking about your adoptive family, the family that you're living with now? Yes, that's correct. Oh, okay, good. Because it's important to clarify for the listener. I, I kind of knew who you were talking about, but for, for, for the listeners you know, around the world who do not know you, it's important to clarify that. Okay. Yeah, so, so, would you, so would you like to share with the listeners what this family told you um, about their family and about the farm and about their life. Would you like to share that? Oh, sure. You know, when I Skyped with them, uh, I believe it was like April the 19th. Yes, it was a Saturday that I got to Skype with them. That's like a week before they landed in China. And I asked their, what's the family like? And they told me that they had a farm, and in in the farm there are a lot of animals, like horse, goat, and sheep. So, and I, they also told me that I'll be great in, the, I'll be great match uh, when I arrive or when I join their family. <laughs> yeah. Good. So, um, th- that's that you said something interesting. You said that they felt that you would be a great match for, for, for their family. Yeah. Um, why do you, I'm just curious. Why do you, it's, it's kind of an interest. It's kind of a, I, I find that to be an interesting comment to make about someone. It's kind of, it's kind of a, it's kind of an unusual thing to say. It's a, it's kind of a, a, um, it's not strange. I'm not going to use the word strange, but it's kind of an odd, it's kind of an interesting comment to make. Well, how did you interpret that comment? Did you, uh, give any thought to that comment? And wh- what about you did they, did they like? And why did they feel that you are a good, a good match? Because I, at that point, I, I think I plays like instrument and you know I think the family needs another person that plays an instrument uh, so that way you know I don't know why okay <clears throat> so what questions did they ask you oh they asked me uh something like do I want to be a member of the family, and I answered delightfully, yes, because I have friends that I know who had uh, who were adopted and had a great life while they're in the other side of the uh, the other side of the globe. Right, right, good, good. And what else? What, what else did they did they ask? <clears throat> oh, they asked. Other than that. They ask, like, uh, what's my favorite things to do? And, mm-hmm. yeah, and I answered them that I love 
playing flute and reading. At that point, my favorite reading was like uh, reading material was like uh, Bibles. I read a lot of Bibles at that point. Good. Yeah. That is fine. That is great. Mm-hmm. Good. And I also told them, or they, uh, that I read Braille. So that's basically it. Okay, fine. So for our listeners, and what, what I what I got out of that, it was when you spoke to them on Skype that first time, it sounds like that was about a 15-minute Skype call. 10, 15, maybe 30 minutes oh. max. That was like an hour. Oh, oh, okay. So, th- so the first call was about an hour. Okay, well, yeah. that's good. That's good. I, I, I see. I see. So then they probably asked you more questions, which, you know, it was a long time ago. It, it is totally okay that you do not remember all of it, but that, that, that is fine. I see. Did they ask you anything interesting or unusual about China? Because Americans. Um, do not always have a good idea about what really happens in China. They typically don't usually ask me uh, this question because, you know, at that point, I was uh, very patriotic to my country. And if they ask questions, I would, you know, find ways to answer them instead of telling them the truth. Because as a person from the mainland, Right, right. So you said something really fascinating there. You said that at this particular point in your life, you were very patriotic. Now, were you patriotic towards China or towards the United States? I was patriotic to my uh, home country, which is China. Good, excellent. Now you don't have to. You do not have to answer this. Um, I'm and I'm I'm fascinated by this. I you know. Now that you've been in the States for, for a few years now, um, do you feel like you're completely patriotic towards the United States? Uh, it's kind of a because I uh, am very – I do love the country, and I also love my first country. But, right. Uh, yeah. It's kind of uh, both. I see. I see. So you kind of, I guess, feel kind of like a global citizen, someone who kind of has some feelings towards both of the, both of the countries, feeling towards your birth country because that's where you were born. So you were born there for some reason, and then you also have feelings towards the country that you are now a a, a citizen of, right? Yes. Yeah. So so now so now today, are are you officially a, a United States citizen today? Yes, I got my citizenship when I was like 14. Right. Good. Good. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. And that's great, Michael, because a lot of most, most immigrants would, most immigrants to the United States would, would agree with you um, that usually you kind of have mixed feelings your whole life. You're, you're kind of, you're kind of confused in a way You're your whole life um, because you can never forget the country that you come from. And it always impacts your your sense of, of nationhood forever. And that's that's very interesting and very important. Um, so, OK, well, you know, another another part of this that is going to be very interesting to to the listener 
is for you to talk a little bit more about um well actually before I go there I want to ask I want to ask this question when you were on this Skype call with now your your family now did you ask them um how they became interested in adoption and why they chose China and how they found an interest in in adoption oh i didn't ask into but i got the answer it was like uh couple uh until like they actually reached China uh at the orphanage that I am that I'm in and they told the reporter or the interviewee at that point that they saw my picture from somewhere on Facebook that I'm jumping rope and playing my flute. So they you know think, you know, he might be a great member of the family. And all my sisters, uh, current sisters, they love what I, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Like they really need a brother. So, you know, this, this is how they find me. Okay, so the sisters really needed a they really needed a brother who could play the flute. I mean, you know, you really some families really need that, I guess. Basically, I was asking you, and 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 it's it is totally fine. Perhaps you kind of missed the question a little bit. I I'm trying to dig deeper into the philosophy, though. It's more than they happen to stumble across your picture. Because the reason I am saying this is that I, I will tell you that I, I am very familiar with adoption listeners because my brother was adopted from uh, South Korea. Did, did, did you did you know that, by the way? No, I never knew that. Oh, well, I don't think you ever I don't. Let me see. No, I don't think you have ever met my brother, um, but my brother's a Korean guy. And he was born in Seoul in 1998, and my parents adopted him when when he was a baby. Um, and there's a long list of reasons that they chose adoption. That now that I'm an adult, now that I'm grown up, I, I understand what all the reasons are. Um, but that really has nothing to do with Aaron's show, and that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. But the reason that I'm bringing this up is that there's always, Michael, there's always a, a philosophical reason and a interesting um, psychology of the type of person who is willing to, to adopt. Let, let me explain it a, a little bit more and then I'll circle back to the question because I think, I, I think it's an important question to think of, to think critically about. For example, adopting a baby from China and adopting a teenager from t China even if it's a teenager who plays the flute like Michael Munn, are two totally different things. So what I'm what I'm asking is is this what how this is this is going to sound very strange. How was your family so comfortable with basically bringing a Basically, bringing a stranger, a, a teenage stranger, into their home. How do, do you kind of understand what I'm what I'm wondering about? What I'm asking? How 
why why were they so why was this particular family so so drawn to the philosophy and so drawn to the idea of adopting a older person a, a teenager because the challenges of adopting a baby and the challenges of adopting a teenager there are many but they're totally different challenges you know my brother didn't have any opinions about south korea when he left it but you had a lot of opinions about china once you left china so that's kind of what i'm asking do you, do you see what i'm asking and do you see why i'm asking this question oh yes 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 so okay so so did you ever did you ever question them did you ever say i don't know in my imagination I would imagine that that question would come into your head at some point that you as as a functioning successful teenager wouldn't you want to know why they want why they want you wouldn't you kind of want to investigate them a little bit did 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 you ever um investigate uh their their motives at all to, to no. talk about that no, no really I, yeah why not because you know I was like being of, I had uh, some friends, like I said, I was kind of like thinking as other friends that I know who arrived in another country and had a good life. So I just thought that I will face the same fortune. So I just didn't investigate the mm. I totally get it. I totally I good answer. I, I you you were more concerned with being successful in the United States than spending any time wondering or worrying about really who the people were. I don't know. I I, I no, I totally get your answer, Michael. You you answered the question properly. But I do do you do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it it, it seems scary. Like you're talking to basically a stranger over Skype. And they're basically talking about why you're going to be great in their house. In their house. I mean, I, I get it, but it's also it's also really interesting. Um, yeah, that's that's fascinating. Okay, so let's let's speed up a little bit. So I think it's really interesting to talk to our listeners more about how the how the adoption process works in China. By the way, as as you can tell. Um, and I'm sure this will, this is, this is controversial for people, but I'm someone who completely agrees with adoption. I think adoption is beautiful and I think it's a, um, the, the philosophy of adoption is, is truly a, a blessing in society and truly a gift in society. If the people are adopting, uh, for the right reason and if, you know, if, if it goes well, um, and if it's done uh, legally and, and appropriately, then I completely support the idea. So why didn't you tell us more about what happened, you know, after these people, um, the family you're living with now, after they physically arrived in China? Then talk more about the process of, OK, now you meet them. OK, nice to meet you. But now they have to get you back to the state. So tell us more about that process and the types of activities you did together. Okay, once uh, they got into, or they arrived in China, they find me, and we, you know, <coughs> they also saw the school that I went, and, you know, we sat when 
for two days. And the third day, we went to the province that I lived in, the capital of the province, to get to you know get the official that I'm adopted. So that actually only lasted for one day. And then the next day, we did some, you know, hangout at, at the province. And the third day, we went back to Beijing, where we hang out and for two days. And then the last process was to get the physical exam to Guangzhou, which is another major city in China. And that, you know, the physical exam and the visa stamp from the U.S. Embassy in Guangzhou. So, and we got that taken care of within two, within two days. So everything was like quick, has to be quick because, you know, it, they actually, in U.S., they only used six weeks to got the paperwork uh, done. That needs to be done in the U.S. And, and then they went to China with two weeks later. I see. Can you repeat it again? Why did all of this have to happen so quickly? Because usually these types of governmental issues um, are things that happen painfully slowly. So I'm surprised yeah. that this was so easy. So t- talk more about it and kind of explain it again. Oh, like, uh, it's, it has to be quick because in China, once that person turns in 14, they're not eligible to be adopted anymore. So, you know, they found my picture was like two, uh, two more months until I turned 14 because they found it on February 24th, and my birthday was May 1st. Huh, huh. So then what would have happened, and and thanks to God that it didn't, but what would have happened if you hadn't been found in in this time frame? And then would you have just had to stay in China, I guess? Or what, what, what would the end result have been? Oh, if that wasn't, if that, if, you know, I didn't get adopted, I most likely to be able to finish my uh, schooling in Beijing for the blind. And once I turn 18, I'm on my own. Yeah, I'm on my own when I when I turn 18 in China. Right, right. Why do you think there's this law that you that you have to be adopted before you're 14? I personally don't really know why there's a law because, you know, each country is different. China has happened to be 14. Hmm. So then what? So then you got all your papers filled out. You got their stamp from the consulate. And then what? And then then uh, one day later, a day later that I was riding in a van to Hong Kong. And on May 8th, China time, May 8th, like uh, 11 o'clock, I was on United Airlines and head to Chicago. 
It was like 14 hour and 30 minutes. I see. I see. So, so, so they had it set up so that you would fly from Hong Kong to O'Hare nonstop and then from O'Hare to, to Dulles, I guess, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. I see. I see. Well, that's all, all really, all really interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, so, so then what? So then the big, the big question is then what? So then you come to the States, um, and then, and then what did you think? And, and, and what did you start doing? Tell us, you know, kind of how things, uh, basically what, what your first days were like in, in the United States. Oh, my first day in the United States was like a lot of adjustment, especially the time zone. I have to adjust the time zone. Because yeah. It was like 12 hours at that point because China doesn't have, uh, doesn't have daylight saving time. Yeah. So I used that day to adjust the time the first two days. <clears throat> and I also meet a lot of people that, you know, my mom's friend, has to be as an example. Right, right. I see. I see. Um, and so what month did you come to the States? Was it May? Yeah, it was May, yeah. right? May 8th. Yeah. May 8th, right. So um, basically, uh, the school the school year was over in the United States at that point. So then once you kind of got used to our time zone and once you got you know, re- felt refreshed, then, w- then what did you start to do? And, and what did you do that first summer? Oh, that first summer, I was basically hang- hanging in my house, just basically reading and learning the U.S. contracted Braille. It's a miracle that I learned it with three months. Right. Good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So when I was in, you know, they my mom placed me, me in sixth grade because, you know, in, in general, people who are 14 in U.S. are considered a high school age. But, you know, I'm just arrived in U.S. and every, and all my skills are very low, especially in English. I know how to read and contract braille, but my comprehension is not that efficient. Right. So, like, yeah. So then, what happened that fall? Um, your first fall. So, you know, tell me about you know your perceptions of the school that you were in, and kind of walk us through what 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 was going on at that school. Um, my first school, which is in Clark County, uh, like only two miles away from the farm, they have very uh, they have a negative attitude towards a student who are blind. They insisted right. of shipping me to the school for the blind in Virginia, which is two hours away. But we saw the school and, you know, in school for the blind, they treat the blind people like a patient in a hospital when you're in a dormitory. Okay. Now you said something interesting there. So you said that, so did, did did you say that you felt that the school for the blind in Virginia treats the students like patients in a hospital? That's the setup of the dormitory. That's how you know 
I thought. But <clears throat> and they have very low graduation rate. And I was a very academic, gifted, so I. So you know, it, 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 the school is not a good fit for me. Right. And then I only stayed at the middle school for three months because you know the administration uh, was been collaborating with me and my family, so I withdraw. After I ran my first marathon, which, yeah, in October the 27th. So, so did you withdraw from the middle school? Yes. And then we, I moved to Lawton County and finished mm-hmm. sixth grade there. Right, right. So why didn't you... Um, if you want, why don't you tell us more about some of those challenges at the school and really, you know, what what, what was going on there? Oh, like, you know, I did not get the technology that I am entitled of, of such as a Braille display on a, uh, with a laptop. I only got two Perkins Brailler that I'm uh, using, that I'm allowed to use. While other students getting what they needed, because I'm the only blind student at that point and right now in the in the whole county. <clears throat> I see, I see, yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, what what was your perception of these teachers at this particular middle school? The teachers are nice. It's that it's just the person who's working, the peoples are working with me. They have very, uh, they have negative attitude towards, uh, towards people who are, uh, visually impaired. <clears throat> like, right. I, I remember one of the, I, I mean, a principal in that middle school actually called me an oriental, which is a not nice word when, uh, to say to an Asian. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. That's disturbingly offensive. Um, but, um, Americans, that's an example of someone who is that principle, unfortunately, is someone who has, you know, has probably a lot of prejudice, um, toward, towards people from China. You know, it's not, it's not okay. It's certainly not appropriate, but, um, that also is not surprising, you know. Um, and did you, so did, did your parents or did, did your family ever confront the principal about that issue? Yeah, you know, they advocated for me at that point. I don't know how to advocate. And that principal wasn't a nice person. No. And the assistant principal, the whole entire administration was like very, was corrupt. I mean, corrupt is, at this point, I mean, they're, they don't have any education. Not means they're greedy or, or so. Right, right. 
Yeah, this is this is a uh, an ongoing um, an ongoing problem. Um, I see. I see. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Were there any other um, Chinese people, uh, you know, at your school? No. No, there's uh, there weren't any Chinese students at that point. I'm the only blind and Chinese student. Well, I, I would I would guess that you would be the only blind Chinese person, but I was wondering if there was, you know, anyone at the school, um, you know, who, you know, who was also Chinese or from one of the other Asian countries. No, nope, I'm the only one. And um, how did the how did the students at the school react to you? Oh, they treat me like an equal. Like every time when I'm in uh, when I'm in a hallway of some sort, they usually say, "Hey, Michael," and "How are you today?" And they they usually greet me like they greet other students. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's that's in, that's interesting because usually middle schoolers um, are um, not not very kind and not very mature. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Mm. Did any um, did any of the students uh, ask you um, any interesting questions or any good questions? Uh, about China. Oh yes, they usually ask, uh, "How do people like eat in China and stuff like that?" Yeah, yeah. Because in the states we have this idea that Chinese people only eat with chopsticks. Yeah, we sometimes eat with a spoon, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes in China you also use forks, right? That's only when you're eating Western meal. I see. I see. Only, only when you're eating Western things. Mm-hmm. So, um, so today, do you prefer to eat with chopsticks today? Oh, only Chinese food. Uh, only Chinese food. I see. So, if you're having a Chinese meal, then you use chopsticks. Yeah. But if you're eating an American meal or a Western meal, then you use a fork. Yeah. Good, I see. So that's how I eat. I see, I see. Mm. And what did you think of the food in the middle school? Oh, at the food, you know, I usually pack my lunch when I'm in school. So I don't usually get the lunch from school. That's true. I see. I see. Okay. And um so what was your like favorite class at that at that middle school? Oh, at the middle school I uh it was like band, concert band. Oh good. And so then did did you play the flute in the band at that particular school? Yes, I play flute in band, the metal flute. Good good. Excellent. Okay. So So then you ended up having to withdraw from this school. And then why don't you tell our listeners about what happened uh, after you withdrew uh, from this uh, school? 
oh, after I withdrew, I take two weeks off just to readjust. And in, in November, and at that point, I know I, you know, learned about the National Federation of the Blind, and I went to their first uh, STEM camp in Baltimore in uh, November, and <clears throat> I met a bunch of great Federation leaders. Hmm. Okay. So why don't you tell our listeners what the National Federation of the Blind is and what this camp was in Baltimore, because that's really interesting. Oh, the National Federation of the Blind is the uh, – sorry, I at this point I need to use my uh, – use what I have learned from the Federation. The National Federation of the Blind is the nation's oldest organization built for uh, blind. We speak for the blind, not uh, sighted people, uh, you know. For us, it's the federation. It's the organization. It's an organization built uh, for the blind. So yeah, and the current president at that yeah uh, at that point was Mark Riccobono, and still it still are still is yeah sorry. So the okay. Thing, <clears throat> The STEM camp is like, uh, it's sponsored by the National Science Foundation. And that, in that particular camp, I learned how to build a build card from a CD compatible disc and a few other, uh, dowels, wooden dowels to hold the CD so it can roll down a slope that we built. It, it was a fun camp. So exactly what was this cart? Can you try to explain it again? Oh, it, it was the project that we were doing. Uh, we l- learned how to build a golf cart. Okay, a golf cart. Uh, a go-kart. Oh, a, a smaller go-kart. Yeah. I see, I see. Okay. So what can you tell us about that project and what, you know, what did you do when you were building this, this go-kart and, you know, how did it, how did it work? Oh, my role in that was to hold the cells in, uh, in place. So the other person can glue it, glue the CD onto it. And the project is just to get us into, you know, no science. And Natalie Shaheen, many uh, who don't know who she is, she at that point was the coordinator of this program. Okay. Um, and what can you tell our listeners about that particular person? Oh, she actually was the director of the National. Science Foundation for the uh, National NCBYS, National Science, National Center for the Blind Youth and Science. She's, uh, she worked at the Jernigan Institute in Baltimore. Oh, okay. So it sounds like this is someone 
who works for NFB. Yes, it's someone who works for NFB, yes. Okay, good. And it sounds like she is basically a coordinator for these yes. types of... she's a coordinator, yes. Okay, so she makes the arrangements for you to be able to participate with this camp. Well, how, how long was the camp? Oh, that camp was uh, three days from Thursday evening till Sunday morning. I see. Good. So, um, and like, where did like where did you live at this camp? Oh, at the Jernigan Institute, the dorm in Jernigan Institute, uh, which is the National Center. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've vaguely heard about this dorm that they kind of secretly have at the Jernigan Institute. But what what, what can you tell our listeners about that dorm and about living there for a couple of days? <laughs> That dorm is basically, uh, it's a room with no window, and other than that, it's just like a regular hotel room. Hmm, right. But it's strange, so did, did you say that the room does not have any windows? Yeah, no window at all. It's, every time when you enter uh, into the room, you have to turn on the light. Or, you know, as a side people, you have to turn on the light. Right. But, I mean, so did the room have lights to be turned on? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. And what can you tell us about that room? That room has two beds, a uh, bathroom, and uh, two nightstand, one on each side of the bed, and a cabinet and and one closet that's basically the entire set of the room. Hmm. Okay. So, um, so did you have a roommate at this at this event? Oh yeah, my roommate is my chaperone, which is my sister. At this game, you need to have a chaperone. Okay. Okay, that that's a little strange because at a lot of the NFB programs and a lot of these NFB camps, they want you to be independent. So why did you need a chaperone? That's required uh, because I think I think this is their first time hosting this kind of uh, camp. I see. I see. Okay. So and is your is your sister blind? Well, she's sighted. You need you know that camp needs a sight. Huh. Huh. Okay. So, the, so then, did she participate in the camp um, as well? No. Uh, how this camp is work, uh, work is that we, as uh, participants, as a camper, participate in science and actual science. But for chaperones, they go through workshops that hosted by the National Federation of the Blind. So they huh. meet uh, Federation leaders such as Mark Riccobono and Carl Walker, which I think, you know, uh, or some of the listeners might have uh, heard, heard of her before. Yeah, the name, no, of course I know all those people. I know of all those people. I've certainly met Rick, the, the Riccobonos. 
I might have met that other person, but I, I, I don't know um, specifically if I've met that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those people host workshops for chaperones. <clears throat> I see. I see. Well, that's this is really uh, unusual and really really interesting. So, what did your sister learn at these work workshops? And you know, what what did she tell you? She told me that she learned a, a lot of uh, blindness skills on how to teach a blind person to do stuff, such as serving your own serving stuff for yourself, and you know, using a mix, mixing cup. To get uh, to pick up a soup. Huh, huh. So it sounds like that she was basically taught how to approach being around a blind person in an appropriate way and how to um, approach. Living with a blind person in in an, in an appropriate way. Yes, that's basically it. Uh, mm-hmm. What the you know workshop is for. Right, right. <clears throat> good, good. I see, I see. So, what was the most challenging thing that she had to learn? Um, do you do you suppose? She didn't tell me. Okay, next question. So, <laughs> did she um did, did she ask you any interesting questions about about certain things? Nope, she didn't ask me anything because I don't know anything <laughs> that American blind people was doing at that point. That's true. That's true. So, what are some skills that maybe um, you used in China that you do not need to use anymore now that you're living in the United States. Oh, the skills, the blindness skills. I typically yeah. don't use a lot of uh, transit, you know, riding a public transit system. Because, and I have to do that a lot in China. Right. Mm-hmm. Because in the United States, everyone typically owns a car, except when you're in a major city, such as New York City or Los Angeles. Or sometimes Chicago and Boston area. That's that's true. That's true. That's starting to change now. That's starting to be the case. That actually, it's funny. A lot of people who live in New York City do not even have a driver's license. It's not it's not uncommon, uh huh, because the people who live there their whole life feel that they don't need to know how to drive a car because there's so much public transportation. I can relate. I can agree with that. Well, it's kind of. It's kind of more of a problem now because people travel a lot more and people move around the country a lot more than they used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. I see. So um, how did they, um, you know, g- give us a rundown on the schedule of this particular camp? On um, like this particular camp was that uh, Thursday night. Each, uh, like, student arrived in at the Jernigan Institute, and we had a dinner, and after dinner, we each, uh, like, all of the students gather in a place, and for those people who never went to the Jernigan Institute, they call it 
the members hall for an open assembly. And we did some activities on like just to get to know each other. So like we did some, you know, uh, <coughs> games such as one person actually, uh, the, the whole entire coordinators, they got a bag of candy that's wrapped in different layers. So when the candy got to a person, when the bag get to a person, they have to open up the bag and, you know, basically open up one layer of the bag once they have access to it. Whoever opens the last layer get the price that's in the, you know, that's in the wrap, wrapping. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they did some icebreakers to help you to get to know some of the other people. Oh, yes. Icebreakers, you know, it's always my favorite thing when I'm in with the students, you know, They didn't do icebreakers this year at the national convention in NFP convention. Right, right. And we can certainly move towards uh, talking about that, too. But I'm, I'm really quite fascinated by this particular camp. So what other people, you know, who else did you meet at this camp? Oh, a bunch of fifth graders at that point. There are only two sixth graders at that point. Um, me and my other friend who, who lives in Maryland at that point. Right, right. I, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, it sounds like this camp was geared towards more of a primary school age. Yeah, like uh, early middle schooler and late elementary school elementary schooler. I see. I see. Hmm. Well, okay. Um, and and what, what did they serve for food at this camp? How was the How was the meals? Oh, how the meals the was great. You know, they they do tend to feed the campers well. Well, I mean, they at that first night we had pizza and hamburgers. A lot of, you know, fast food, and we had ice cream for dessert. And the <laughs> next morning, we had. Okay, so so they kind of, really what it is is they kind of gave, um, and I'm certainly not trying to tease you. They they kind of gave like little kid food. They gave like food that you would give to children, like a lot of comfort food and a lot of sweet stuff. Oh yes, yeah, basically, that's right. basically it. I see. I see. In China, I'm I'm really fascinated. In China, um, when a uh, child comes home from school in China, or or when children are done with school, what 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 is like a common snack or like a a comforting thing that a child would want for a snack in China? Mainly chips. What do you mean by or chips? Chips is like where uh, that's made out of savory. Made out of what? Uh, savory chips such as shrimp or uh, jelly 
Markel. Is it so? Are they kind of like um, snack food that tastes like shrimp, but it's kind of crunchy? Yes, yes. I exactly. see. Those are good. Yeah, it's kind of sweet. It kind of has a sweet gut. It kind of tastes sweet and salty at the same time. Like yes. that. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I love that. That that is a good snack. In Korea, they have something very similar. They have a lot of products that are very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Mhm. That's what's the typical snack like in China. Okay, I I see I see. Good. So um yeah I mean so so what do you think of the American food now that you've been living here for a few years? The the American food I <clears throat> I still think that Chinese food are great. You know uh, <laughs> American food they're a little you it does fill you up but once you eat it you eat it you never remember it. Like most of them are basically fried, or sometimes most of them are deep fried. That's true. That's true. Yes. <clears throat> and Chinese food, they have it's like variety, uh, various. There are various kind of Chinese food. I see. I see. Good, good. Okay. So how did you get up, you know, the next morning at this camp? You know, did, did they get you up early? Oh, yes, yeah, like 6 o'clock, and they play some music. One in uh, one music that I still remember in particular was Good Morning Baltimore from Hairspray, the musical. Because, you know, it's going to make sense that the camp was held in Baltimore, and you live in Baltimore, and when you, you know, the first music you got, you got to hear is Good Morning Baltimore. I see. I see. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Or, or the other, the other good song to get up to is, of course, the national anthem. That's a good one. Or, oh, yeah. um, you know, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second song they played was the periodic table song. What song is that? Oh, I, uh, I don't know the melody, but I, you know, they talk about the periodic tables, like, yeah. <clears throat> I I don't know the melody, but it's about science, so they played that, and the next song they played a song by Taylor Swift, "Shake It Off." <laughs> it was a popular song at that point. I see, especially popular with children at, at that oh, at that point. Yeah, yeah. I see. So basically, they would put an iPod into all of the speakers of the room. They would have the iPod connected to the computer, and the computer would blast it over the speakers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So was it scary or loud or not? Not really. It's uh, just it's just right. The speaker was uh, connected. Like, each of the rooms had an intercom system that connects to the main microphone. So I'm, yeah, Every, you know, whatever, whatever happened at the building, the intercom would announce. So 
everyone will know and where to you know escape or ex exit from the building. Good, good, good. I see. I see. Okay. So then you came down for breakfast, and can you tell our listeners about the breakfast that that, that they served? Oh, the breakfast they served, like the you know, it was like it's all their food, the, all their serving style was like a buffet that we each grab a plate and we walk in line. They usually tell us, told us, you know, ask us what do we want to eat. The fourth, uh, that first morning. They served basically the standard uh, American breakfast, like uh, hash brown casseroles, beef fried, I see. and scrambled egg, bacon, yogurt, and cereal, and fruit <laughs> salad. <clears throat> I I see, I see. <clears throat> and coffee and black tea of our own choice. Good, good. So then, so then, did you did did you take tea? Did did you want the black tea? No, oh, yeah, I drank apple juice instead because I wasn't a tea drinker at that point. I I am now, but not at that point. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> it's a couple of things that gross me out, and I I rarely drink juice, and I never eat eggs. I don't know what it is, but I just. <laughs> I don't know why we have to eat that. That just seems like the strangest thing to eat in all in all the things. Yeah, animal product. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll eat chicken, but I just yeah. don't. I won't eat their egg. <laughs> I don't know, um, but I'll eat all the all the other things. But, that makes sense. But no, I mean, I I for for breakfast, I, I I'll only eat one thing for breakfast, which are Cliff Bars or Belvedas. I'll, I'll eat those things, but. Yeah, once once you um, I, I, as you get older, you'll see that you don't want as big of a breakfast, you know. But I I, I get it because they were accommodating children, and children um, just can't have one little you know Cliff Bar. They have to, you know, Cliff Bars are only good once you're a grown up, once your body kind of matures and your metabolism starts to change. But a, a child would need a lot more than just a Cliff Bar. Mm -hmm. You by the way, so. Would they have? It's just a strange point. Would they have allowed the children to like to, to drink a cup of coffee? Hello. 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 Okay, listeners. Well, I I think I think we might have lost them. Here, let me let me pause this segment. And I'll record another segment for you. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. Insured by NCUA. Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. 
Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer.